recorded live from Hong Kong and Toronto. Let's go. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up, turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchy and you and Christy. Welcome to episode 35 of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchy, along with you and Christy. Hello, Cameron. Ewan's an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada, and he's online at duntroon.law. I'm a PR guy based in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and Communications newsletter. You can find that at digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend. You can also follow us on social media, of course, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can subscribe to the show on YouTube and SoundCloud as well. And most important of all, sign up for our newsletter. You can get updates when new episodes drop and other show information at prlawpodcast.com club. So a quick little show note off the top here. We were going to have Courtney Lukic uh, from Gotham PR on the show today, and we've pushed that back uh, uh, one more week. So she is going to join us and you're going to want to definitely tune in for that one because she's got a lot of uh, interesting stuff to say regarding politics and Joe Biden and Donald Trump and everything happening um, around them. But we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about today. Ewan, what's going on with you? Yeah, never, uh, never shortage of topics for our show, hey? Yeah, especially this week. I feel like uh, I had people reaching out to me and requesting subjects today. Yeah, that, that's that's great. Well, and you know, and 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 we aim to please, so we will most certainly be addressing some of those some of those issues. What's what's going on in your neck of the woods? Yeah, we do take requests at the PR Law Podcast. Um, not much here, you know. It's uh, it feels like Christmas, and it's going to be such a weird one. We touched. A- on this a little bit before the fact that, you know, we're spending Christmas in Hong Kong for the first time, even though I've lived here for 12 years. Uh, it's the first Christmas. There's a tree. We got an actual real Christmas tree that's up with lights and decorations and friends have come over to, to help decorate. And we had a, a group dinner here tonight. So yeah, it's, it's odd, but we're doing the best we can with it. Wow. That sounds cool. You should, um, maybe you should post a little, shot somewhere on our uh on our page yeah what's your tree how big's your tree cam uh, it's that's not the real question it's not very big it's one of the it's like it's it's big enough that it's it's on a stand on the ground but it only comes up a few feet um but it's a it's a start but i gotta say Ewan, it is still odd having a christmas tree when you can open the window and it's 22 degrees outside <laughs> so it doesn't feel like christmas <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm sure that's probably normal for some people, but yes, as a Canadian, that's uh, that that's a very very odd. That's got to be so bizarre. I can't imagine. Yeah, it takes some 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 getting used to. Um, anyway, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, an issue in Canada this week, but it's got a fascinating turn, and it deals with COVID nineteen. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that. But first up, we're going to talk about law. Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to askus at prlawpodcast.com. That's all one word, askus at prlawpodcast.com. Or on social media with the hashtag PRLawPod. That's hashtag P-R-L-A-W-P-O-D. All right, what's happening, Ewan? Well, Cam, speaking of uh, the holidays and how this is just sort of an odd year in that regard, I wanted to talk about the work holiday party, Cam. Mm. This is, um, you ask any employment lawyer and they will tell you that every year 
we get at least one and more often than not several more than that um, clients, employers or employees getting in touch and advising of the fallout from a holiday Mm. party. I bet. (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. There are just so many, so many things, so many ways uh, for for the parties to go completely sideways. But I think this year it's going to be interesting because at least here we're on a complete lockdown. Now I know that's not the case everywhere, but obviously social distancing is an issue. A lot of bars, restaurants, um, you know, banquet halls, et cetera, places where holiday parties would typically occur are closed. And it, it sort of leaves an interesting situation for employers here. What are they going to do? Are they just going to postpone the holiday party until, you know, sometime in the future when it's safe and get everybody together maybe next summer or something like that? Or are they going to come up with some alternatives? Now, the correct answer to what they should do, Cam, is just postpone. Do not Mm. throw any parties right now. Uh, And really, that's just a simple liability issue, right, Cam? I mean, one of the first things that we saw to go when we started imposing restrictions um, because of COVID was around dining and drinking. And I'm, I'm sure you've been following some of the press here, Cam, where bars have been closing uh, mm-hmm. very, very early and then closing in their entirety. And that really just sort of seems like common sense that when people start to drink, they get a little more comfortable with each other. They're probably less inclined to wear masks. They're less inclined to keep distance and transmission rates go up. So employers, if you're not going to be having your party elsewhere, Um, because you probably can't right now, please, please, please don't see as a solution that, oh, we'll just move the party in-house to our office. That's not really a solution because all of the same hallmark issues, Cam, they're still there. You still have issues of liability of how are you going to get people to and from? If you're serving alcohol or food, how are, are people masked? How are they going to be masked? How are they going to social distance? And the biggest issue here, Cam, is what are you going to do as an employer if, God forbid, somebody transmits COVID during your holiday party? I mean, it's it's all kinds of new levels of liability that employers need to watch right. out for. So I have a lot of questions about this. I guess the first off is uh, my understanding, and again, I'm not in Canada or the U.S., but my understanding is there are restrictions on private gatherings. So is there is it even legal to have a, a private event that has like 20 or 50 or 100 people at it? Because I know here it's not. Um, you can still go to, into a restaurant here, but there's right now a max of two people per table. But the restaurants are all open and you can go dine. Um, but if you're having a, a gathering at home, I think it's just got to be your your people who live in the same house or something like that. There's some kind of restriction like that. So you, you can't have a very big party anyway. But but is that still possible there? No, I mean, we're on complete, complete lockdown here. So that should not be happening. My concern, and again, you know, my concern isn't for larger companies and mid-sized companies. My concern here, Cam, is for a lot of the smaller companies. You know, small, small offices that have maybe 10, 15, 20 employees who are thinking, ah, you know, hey, we can probably just throw a little party around here. Um, but again, as soon as you start introducing food and drink, then, you know, that that transmission rate, the risk starts to increase. 
And really, that's just not the sort of liability that any employer wants to incur. So, you know, just be safe, postpone it, maybe set a date sometime down the road so that, you know, your staff are aware of the fact that you're not, you know, you're not canceling the holiday party. We will do something at some point, but, you know, let's avoid doing something right now and try and keep safe. Right. And, you know, the the interesting thing here, though, is our a holiday party last year was canceled because we had civil unrest and protests in the streets in Hong Kong. And so we thought, oh, next year, 2020, we'll be able to have one. No, now there's a global pandemic. So now there's two two years, two years wiped out here. Um, but you went aside from the, you're talking very specifically about concerns over COVID and the liability around that. But I would like to ask you, because you've been in employment law for, for many years, I imagine you've had many other issues that arise from holiday parties, probably a lot of them having to do with alcohol. And even throughout my own career, I've been shocked at times of things that I've seen happen at holiday parties or things people have said. Uh, there definitely seem like a uh, a place where, you know, lawyers could do quite well if they hung out at these holiday parties and looked for clients. Well, well, yeah. I mean, funny to that point, <clears throat> um, a prominent employment lawyer who shall remain nameless sent out a, you know, a somewhat cheeky tweet saying, well, with with COVID and all of the cancellation of holiday parties, you know, what are employment lawyers going to do for work? Because this really does bring in a fair amount of work each and every year. Um, but yeah, Camens, in, in, in trying to address some of those questions, I mean, the when, the when of the holiday party is always a big, big question, right? Employees don't want to attend their holiday party midweek on a Wednesday night. But there's also a lot of very, very, very strong logical reasons as to why an employer might want to consider doing that, or at least on a Thursday night, right? And the simple fact is, is that employees are more often than not, they're going to be less inclined to drink too much, to stay out really, really, really late if they know or there's an expectation that they have to go to work the following day. So that's always a consideration is the when of the party, the where of the party. We, you know, we talked about that a little bit, right? Um, Are you going to do it at another establishment? Are you going to do it at your office place? If you're doing it elsewhere, Cam, how are you getting people there? How are people being moved to and from the party? And if the party's running late, how are people getting home? You know, one of the easiest things to do here is, you know, you provide your employees with taxi chits, right? At the beginning of the evening, everyone gets one. And then, you know, as an employer that you have at the very, at the bare minimum, you have provided means for your employees to safely get home such that if they do drink too much, if they do stay out too late, you know, that at the end of the day, they've got a safe ride that's going to get them to their doorstep. Or at least that you have provided a safe ride, whether they take you up on that offer and use that taxi jet, who knows? Um, but I guess that's one issue. And then I guess, I mean, what else you, and cause the, the alcohol thing is, is an interesting one. I mean, you know, having attended these parties in Canada and then having attended them in mainland China and then in Hong Kong, obviously there's cultural differences. All three of those are profoundly different. Um, they're not alike in any way, really. Um, and in many ways, especially in Hong Kong, it's very, it's not a heavily drinking culture, actually, um, among sort of local in local Hong Kong culture. But so a, a lot of times the holiday parties I've been to here have been a little more reserved, except for 
certain groups, usually people who have moved Hong Kong from somewhere else, and they can get even more rowdy uh, than anything I ever saw uh, back home. I mean, in those kinds of situations, I mean, I, I guess I can guess what you're going to say, which will be the typical things of, you know, don't serve too much, be careful. Yeah, make sure they've got their, their, their rides home. But is there any other sort of advice for those situations? And basically keeping some people safe, because obviously... You know, sometimes, yeah, when guys, especially younger guys who are well off, if they're in in the financial uh, financial services sector, uh, sometimes girls end up facing some unwanted advances at these things that I've seen that are really, really uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, what's your advice for that, you, and to make sure that everyone is safe and has a good time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not a bad idea for an employer in advance of a holiday party to circulate, you know, just just a, a short email reminding employees of expectations, right? And one of the things that they can sort of touch upon are any, you know, policies, workplace policies around harassment, anti-discrimination, these sorts of things to just ensure that, you know, it's front of mind for those employees on their way out that, yeah, I've got to, you know, I have to make sure that I'm behaving and I'm sticking within the parameters and the guidelines of acceptable behavior. And that's always one of the issues with a holiday party, right, Cam? And this is something that employees need to keep in mind. Just because you're halfway across town from your office and in a restaurant or a bar or a nightclub with your employees, this is a work function. And that means that you should act in a professional and consistent manner, just as you would on a Monday morning in the office. And you're right, you know, issues around harassment, discrimination, sexual harassment, these issues always, always, always occur at holiday parties. And it doesn't matter how many times uh, employment lawyers write articles about this, speak about it on podcasts, in the media, for whatever reason, um, we continue every year to see occurrences of this kind of behavior. So yeah, I think that's one of the big things an employer can do. Circulate your policies and procedures in advance of a holiday party. Remind employees of what the expectations are. You know, is that a little heavy handed to do? Well, no, I don't think that it is. Um, you know, is it going to spoil the mood of the party? Perhaps, but you know what? Who cares? What's more important is that your staff is safe and that your staff feel comfortable um, interacting with everyone else in an environment like that, that is, you know, still a work function. You know, I mean, just to, to, to draw from personal experience, I mean, when I was younger, I, I, I did love these holiday parties, but I was also, I've, you know, I've realized that, you know, earlier in my career, when I was a little bit less senior, it was much more fun for all kinds of reasons. I mean, um, you know, I was better friends or closer friends with a lot of the uh, fellow employees, Whereas when I, you know, moved into management, it's very different and the expectations are very different. And obviously the risks are very different. So I don't, I, I don't even enjoy going to these things now because I'm probably thinking too much about it. Um, because yeah, I do treat it like it's work. Um, and I behave as though it's like work. So it's not that much fun then if I treat it that way, but it is kind of the way that people have to treat them sometimes, I think, especially if you, if you are a manager and you do have people reporting to you. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I think that that's actually just 
good, a good, good policy on your own part, Cam, is I, I understand you don't want to have to be stressed and feeling anxious at these sorts of events. I mean, the whole idea is the complete opposite. But at the same time, you know, it's not always the extremes. It's not always the someone drank too much and then sexually harassed a colleague. Um, I mean, these are the more extreme ends of, of what can occur. But, you know, also just the idea of you lose your inhibition after a few drinks and maybe you went up to your boss and you said something that was inappropriate because you were feeling a little more comfortable than otherwise. Is it is it going to be cause for discharge or or something that that will result in your termination? Not necessarily, but you know, it could compromise an ability to get promoted. It could compromise your professional relationship with that individual. You have no idea who else that manager is going to convey that information to. So, you know, be careful as employees, don't drink too much, you know, and, and if it's an employer doesn't have to create a situation where there's some sort of open bar and there's just booze free flowing throughout the evening. You know, one way you can, you can avoid those sorts of occurrences, hand out drink tickets, you know, give every employee two drink tickets at the beginning of the evening. And that way you know you've done something to try and curb the consumption levels of the alcohol. Also make sure that, you know, you have some awareness when you're circulating that email cam about harassment, discrimination, reminding employees of, of, of what appropriate behavior is and what inappropriate behavior is. Talk about impairment levels. Talk about, you know, recognizing when someone might be impaired and talk about employees and create an environment where employees can approach management and say, hey, you know what? I think so-and-so may have had too much to drink. Um, I wanted to bring it to your attention. Can we address this before things get out of hand, right? So you really have to do a lot of pre-planning. When we think about the holiday party, we think about, oh, well, what's going to be on the menu? Where are we going to have it? Who's going to be there? When is it going to be? But really, the pre-planning stage has to be addressing a lot of these legal issues as well, Camp. Because you know what? It's not just bad for the employees when they're subject to issues of harassment or discrimination. It reflects really, really poorly on the employer. And the last thing you want is an employee turning around and suing you for, you know, a, a, an incident of sexual harassment while at a work function, but also that employee going to another company somewhere down the road and conveying what they were subject to while at your company. That's a really, really easy way to very quickly destroy your company's reputation. Good advice, you and Show your support to the PRN Law Podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit PRNLawPodcast.com. That's PRNLawPodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out. Uh, there were a few issues this week, Hewan, that came up that I thought were, were excellent uh, show material. And then one appeared really late into the week uh, that seemed to generate um, a lot of conversation, at least among sort of other other Canadians, other people in my friend circle. I, I doubt it made much news outside of, of, of Vancouver, I would say. Um, but the issue, and I, I think you may have heard about it, Ewan, revolves around the anthem singer of the Vancouver Canucks National Hockey League team. Uh, we don't normally talk about anthem singers on this show, uh, but he's been doing it since 2001. Uh, he, he's quite well known in the community. I think he sang during the Winter Olympics when they were held in Vancouver. 
Uh, he attends a lot of the, the the larger events there, and he's sort of famous because in the middle of singing O Canada, he he for one verse he just points the the microphone at the crowd, and the crowd sings the the verse of O Canada. So it's a a big moving kind of event that he's become famous for. Um, so he's a well liked guy in general, but he decided last week to attend an event in Vancouver. It was actually a protest against uh, what Mark Donnelly the anthem singer calls the tyranny of COVID-19 restrictions. And it was called the Christmas Freedom Rally in Vancouver. And so hundreds of people showed up there to protest the restrictions um, that have been put in place in the province of British Columbia by by the health officer um, in BC. And so, I mean, he spoke to the media. He, He called them draconian lockdown protocols. Here's a quote of what he said. What was originally sold as, fif- as a 15-day hunkering down spirit for the common good has turned into a 10-month marathon from hell, where the finish line is constantly being moved further into the distance. Once it became known that he was going to attend this event, the Vancouver Canucks hockey team fired him for this. And this became known on Twitter, in fact, when the Vancouver Sun published an article about uh, Mark Donnelly and his views on the lockdown. And it was retweeted by the owner of the Vancouver Canucks who corrected the Vancouver Sun and said he is not the Vancouver Canucks anthem singer. He's the former Vancouver Canucks anthem singer. This has obviously caused a bit of an uproar on two sides. On the one side, uh, you have people who fully support the firing of Mark Donnelly. And on others, it's sort of seen again as sort of a, another example of cancel culture. I do want to put one little wrinkle in here, Ewan, just to, to fully understand the dynamics. The owner of the Vancouver Canucks uh, is Francesco Aquilini, and he's not well-liked at all in the community. There's been a lot of bad press around him for a very long time. He's often involved in legal disputes. He had a very messy divorce. So he's not well-regarded. And the interesting part was this was one moment where it appeared like he did make some PR got some PR benefits uh, from from firing Donnelly uh, in this way. Lots around this, Ewan, but um, you know, what is your what is your initial take? Because I know that you've heard about this this week as well. Yeah, well, uh, look, I mean, I, I understand this might upset some people. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't, frankly, I don't really care what side of this issue you might fall on from, from a legal perspective. This is actually very simple and very straightforward. And that is that the employer has the right to terminate the employee without cause for any reason or no reason whatsoever. Um, should they choose to do so provided they provide that employee with reasonable notice of the termination of his employment. So, I mean, that's it, Cam. Now, do I think that they turned around and, and, and terminated him for just cause? And we've sort of talked about that distinction before on the show, right? Just cause meaning that, you know, you're, you're suggesting that the employee committed some act of willful misconduct or disobedience such that they're not entitled to any termination or severance pay. I, I would be very surprised if the Canucks took that position with regard to Donnelly. I suspect um, what they did was just said, get rid of him, pay him whatever we owe him under his contract and, you know, the sort of statutory minimum provisions under the law and be done with it. And that is their right 
they 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 can do that. So I you know cue cue the uproar from anyone who is sympathetic to his particular political views. But this doesn't have to be um, a matter of politics from a simple legal perspective. The Canucks were entitled to let him go. Okay, I'm gonna uh, have to make part of this really clear, just so there's no misunderstanding. When you look at this from a PR perspective, uh, my advice to Francesco Aquilini would have been to let him go. I think in this environment and with the politics around the issue of COVID, that that view is largely considered to be quite toxic and a fringe view. Now, People can debate that, and maybe there are more people than you would think that oppose the lockdown. Actually, I think there are a lot of people that oppose the lockdown. But there's so much evidence in favor of the the, the methods governments are taking that it is a, a largely consensus view. At least that's my understanding. And also, regardless of whether it's a consensus view or not, uh, when there's a when there's a public uproar. And those people are your customers, and you don't want to piss them off. Um, this is what you have to do. Uh, you have to let him go. And that would have been my advice. So I want to make that really clear that from a PR perspective, this was necessary and this went down in general the right way. Now, I want to talk from a political standpoint. One of the things, and so I'm no longer addressing the PR issue here. One of the things that Donnelly said was this, quote, Sports figures, entertainers, politicians, etc. can stand for anything as long as it supports the narrative. You can support rioting, looting, destructions of livelihoods and reputation, but take a position against the narrative and you are worthy of exile or worse. End quote. I disagree fundamentally with Donnelly on these issues, and I want to be really clear about that. I'm in favor of the restrictions. I'm in favor of the lockdown. I, you know, we've been going through them here in Hong Kong to, to a degree as well. They work. I mean, that's my message for everyone in North America. They work. If you wear masks, uh, I'm in a city of almost 8 million people and it's hot and humid and we have almost no COVID here. So it works. That said, I support Donnelly's right to speak his mind. And I, I do worry. The bigger problem here to me is that there is such a public uproar over someone expressing his viewpoint publicly. And he's not declaring that he's a member of the KKK or or anything really incendiary like that. Um, he's opposing a government policy. At the root here, he's come out and said, I disagree with what the government is doing. And I wish, just from a society perspective, that we were a little more forgiving of people with different points of view. Again, I don't, su I don't support his point of view. I'm completely the opposite, in fact. Uh, but but this is dangerous, in my view, when when we have this sort of it's almost like mob justice to some degree, because the Canucks have no option. They have to let him go because there's the pressure from the public. Um, but I think this 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 gets dangerous because if it's this policy today, that's one thing. But I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow or the next day. And if you will be on the right side or not. Right. I mean, you never know. This could be you five years from now if you disagree fundamentally with something and you could be facing ostracism. So um, that's my that's my little soapbox speech here. Ewan. <laughs> well, good, good speech. Good speech. I like it. Um, my my issue with his quote is I, I think he's he's conflating a number of issues. The problem is he's not 
Joe public. He's not some random private citizen who wants to go out and express his political views on a particular issue. He does have that right. In fact, there's nothing that is preventing him from attending this rally, from expressing whatever viewpoint he may happen to have around the issue of restrictions and lockdowns and COVID and um, freedom or lack of freedom. And really, I wish people would just come up with a synonym for freedom. Everybody's <laughs> just throwing the word freedom around. I mean, you know, the, the English language is rich and cultured. Let's let's come up with some other words. But anyway, putting that aside, he is an extension of the brand. He is part of the Canucks brand. He is synonymous with the Canucks brand. So when he wants to go out and express this particular view, he is not simply doing so as a private citizen. He is doing so as a reflection of that particular brand. And we've talked about this on the show many, many times, Cam, that private citizens, when they step out onto the streets, they are free to say and do do as they choose for the most part. However, if they're going to put forward a particular view that is inconsistent with the views of their company, and they're going to choose to do that in a high-profile fashion such that it garners the kind of media attention that this has, then they can be subject to disciplinary measures from their employer. And that's what's going on here. So it's not as simple as, well, I can't express my view. That's wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. He can express his view. And the Canucks are entitled to express their view on the issue and ensure that individuals who are reflective of their brand put that message out in a consistent fashion. He's chosen not to do that. And he's lost his job accordingly. And there is nothing wrong with that under, under the law. That is 100% correct. And this is, we have talked about this on the show a lot. Um, you, you have the right to take action as an employer or an employee to say something or do something, but then you, you know, whoever you've impacted also has a right to deal with it. And he was within his rights to go out and speak his mind and the Canucks were within their rights to let him go. And as I said off the top, it was the right decision because regardless of what I personally think about sort of this sort of mob mentality that we've got now, it's there. And part of PR is looking at the situation and going, okay, this is what we're dealing with. We can't sugarcoat it. We can't try and sort of make it more agreeable to us. We have to deal with reality. And this is reality. This is, this is what it, what it means. And, you know, this point of view, and also I think, you know, you're right, you and him, him stepping out to speak publicly and then sort of be, be profiled by the Vancouver sun I mean, that's a big step as well. That's, um, you know, drawing a lot of public attention to his, his viewpoint. Um, and that's, and that's dangerous. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you said. And when we stand well, back and that, and that's just it, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. Cam. I mean, he's been invited to sing at this particular event. Do you think he would have been invited to sing at this event if he was just, you know, Joe public who, who happens to, to, to be, you know, um, qualified to to go out and sing the national anthem. No, he's there because of his profile. He's not there as private citizen. He's there because of his profile and likely would have been introduced as, you know, Donnelly singer of, of the national anthem for the Vancouver Canucks. So he is capitalizing on his own brand and his own profile in support of his own political views. So it's, it's, 
entirely disingenuous to then turn around and say he can't express his viewpoint as a private mm, citizen. N- nobody when, said that. When the very, the very, the very meaning of him being there in the first place is not as a private citizen. It's reflective of his value as a brand associated with the Vancouver Canucks. Okay, I, I haven't, I haven't heard anybody say he he couldn't express his views. I think um, obviously he can express his views, and he did express his views. Um, if you're referring to sort of what I what I spoke about a little bit earlier, it's not even really about uh, Mark Donnelly. It really is where are we with political discourse and this goes in canada and the united states because on some level there are issues where i i well i mean this is a whole other discussion you and maybe for another show but i mean on the right and the left i mean there's if people come forward with certain viewpoints it's almost not even tolerated anymore and i do feel like it is on both sides and it's unfortunate and so uh, like I wonder 20 years ago, for instance, if something like this happened, if there would have been such an uproar when when an anthem singer comes out and says he disagrees with the provincial government. Like in a way, it seems like such a mundane thing, but it's not OK now. And it's it's not that it's not OK because the Canucks don't think it's OK. It's not OK because people don't think it's okay. It's not okay because of the vast number of people and citizens in British Columbia and in Vancouver who don't think it's okay to have this viewpoint, right? I mean, they say this is not, we can't tolerate people who think this way. And so the pressure mounts and he loses a job. So certainly I understand fully the process that played out. Um, And like I said earlier, I would certainly support the same action. The one thing I will say though, um, they did ask Donald if he heard from the Canucks and he said he, he did not, he said he had not spoken to anyone uh, with the team, but he did say he wished he would have received a phone call because he said that would have been a more respectful way uh, to find out that uh, he doesn't have a job. I, um, that's probably my only quibble. Well, I'm sorry, Cam, I've I've got to, I have to interject there briefly, Sure, but that then, that that then cuts both ways. Did he make a phone call or send an email to advise his employer that, Hey, I'm going to be speaking at this high profile rally or singing this high profile rally. Are you guys okay with that? Um, you know, I don't know that he extended that courtesy to, to expect the courtesy in return. Yep. Uh, I still, regardless though, it would have been a nice thing to do. You're, you are firing somebody who had worked for you for 20 years. So I think, I mean, again, if, if it was me, the, the PR guy on the phone with, with, with the, with the owner of the Canucks, I would have said, you have to let him go, but give him a call, like at least do it properly and then put it out on Twitter. Um, that would have been sort of my way to do it. Cause it just looks not that it looks good for Donnelly. It just looks better for the public, um, that, that he managed it that way. But I think this is a, a very minor kind of footnote to the, to the whole saga, but you said something important, you and earlier about you know, if you're going to these public events, it is really important for people to consider this now and not just going to public events. I mean, I've done workshops about people who, you know, post to Facebook or Reddit or whatever it might be. And, you know, a lot of people have very strong political views and, you know, this stuff goes online and it's there for a long time and your boss can find it or someone else can find it and send it to your boss. If someone can find out your name, they can cross-reference it with LinkedIn where you put your employer. I mean, this stuff is dangerous all the time. And um, whether it's going out to something like this, you should think about in case you are photographed there. Is that going to be okay? You know, there were instances last year, you and during the the protests. I mean, here in Hong Kong, it's, it's a sensitive issue. I mean, there's a million people on the street opposing the government, but the government controls a lot of the companies. And so 
you know, we were concerned about having our own staff photographed there. And we had an instance where a Cathay Pacific pilot, you know, was arrested at the protest. And as a result, you know, the, the Chinese government forced out the CEO of Cathay and the chairman of Swire over that. So the company had to be completely reformed because of that person being at a protest. So that's much more severe. But I think the point stands. You have to be careful with what you're doing publicly, whether it's online or offline, because it can have disastrous results. And you might not think you're a big deal, or maybe your position is not very senior, or maybe you're not in the public eye, but you might become in the public eye. It might happen to you uh, in a way that you don't expect, and it can it can really destroy your life sometimes. So it's something to think about. Yeah, I sort of see two competing issues here, Cam. I, I agree with you on, on the one hand, right? I mean, critical discourse is fundamental to a free and democratic society. I mean, and it really is. And we need to permit people to express a viewpoint that we may not like. Um, and if, if people take issue with that, well, you know, then perhaps they should consider living in, in a different country because that's, that's what democracy is, is all about in its truest, in its truest form. But on the other hand, Cam, you know, and to bring it back to to a legal position, an employment law position, an employer has a duty to provide a safe working environment for their employees. So if you as a private citizen, as an individual, decide that during a lockdown, you're going to attend a huge rally uh, surrounded by hundreds or thousands of other people and none of you are wearing masks, then your employer can 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 absolutely take a position that you are compromising the safety and well-being of your colleagues and you can't come back to work. You're going to have to stay home and quarantine and then we will let you back into the office because you have demonstrated that you are capable of observing the social distancing and safety policies that have been put in place by, you know, the government by our workplace. These are real issues. And that's not about your political views, Cam. That's about ensuring the safety of your colleagues. Well, there's no Canucks games uh, at the moment. So he's, he's probably okay on that score. Uh, but who knows, what, <laughs> who knows, who knows uh, what else he's doing? Hopefully the Canucks come back sometime soon. Um, anything else uh, to add uh, on this, Ewan? No, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I hope that we have some people chime in who are supportive of, of Donnelly, because I'm 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 sort of at law at a, a bit of a loss, at least from a legal perspective, as to how you support his position. So if there are people who are supportive of his particular viewpoint and um, and think he's been wronged here. Uh, I, you know, I'd love to get your take and perhaps we can talk about it on a future episode. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a good point. You, and we do want to hear about this because, um, like you, and I also think even from a PR perspective, uh, there's not much that could have been done here because, um, this, this is what happens. I mean, this is how, how the world works and this is how media works. And, um, you know, this is, this is what I would have advised. However, I hope we can all step back and at some point agree that we should be a little more tolerant of people who have different opinions from our own, because I feel like that's one thing that, that we're losing, um, not just in the United States and Canada, but in a lot of different places. I mean, we see that here in Hong Kong, even, you know, it's it's you're on one side or the other and you can't even talk about these things. And it's 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 unfortunate. But hopefully, um, hopefully people can listen to this and let us know what you think. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa, hey, check this out. No, no, wait, wait, oh, check it out, check it out. I want you to check this out. On the PR and Law Podcast.
What have you got, Ewan? Well, Cam, I wanted to talk about this particular issue because we have discussed HBO Max a few times mm-hmm. on this show, um, usually in the context of what in the hell is HBO Max relative to all of its other platforms. Uh, but I, I saw a story, as I suspect you probably did, because it was huge news earlier this week. And I think people are much clearer now on on what exactly it is that HBO Max is and does. And uh, that was the announcement that HBO Max has partnered with Warner Brothers Pictures and will be releasing 17 movies, Cam, its entire 2021 slate simultaneously in movie theaters and on the streaming service. And I think this is just it's it's a we can link to a particular variety story that uh that i read which got some really interesting comment from from movie theaters and other production studios this is huge now warner brothers has said this is just a one-off it's only for 2021 but you know already a lot of people are saying well look this is pandora's box and the genie is out of the bottle to mix my metaphors um and that once this is done we're not going to go back. And I suspect they're probably right. And that this will fundamentally change the way that we consume content. So I'm glad you brought this up for a few reasons, because yes, this is a big change. And uh, the HBO deal isn't the first one. There have been several movies released this year on streaming platforms, but it's the first one of this um, depth, I guess, with so many, so many films. And it was interesting because like HBO has really been blasted hard by the media for the way it rolled out HBO Max, which we talked about on the show, but also that HBO was always known as a smaller channel, but really high quality, that that's where you went for the best. And they've ended up in launching Max licensing just a ton of other content and throwing it on there. So it's sort of like Netflix and in the process diluted the brand by quite a bit. And then the other brand that launched to laughter, uh, Apple, Apple, uh, what is it? Apple News Plus or Apple, Apple TV Plus. And they launched with, I think, six or seven shows, which were all pretty bad. Um, but since then, they've gone out and poured serious money into very select movies and TV series that are now getting nominations. And I read a great comparison of this the other day, how HBO has kind of left that open by trying to serve everybody through this Max platform. And uh, Apple's just doing its own thing with its own shows. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how that how that plays out over the long term. And I think this this injection of, of movies, of 17 of them, I think you said, um, is going to be quite big, I think, for HBO Max. And hopefully uh, kind of set the brand on the right course. Because I think of all the streaming services that launched minus Quibi, <laughs> uh, HBO Max would probably be the one that's had the most trouble. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I I was just kind of blown away by this. I mean, given the lineup, right? I mean, we're talking the fourth Matrix movie, Dune, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, the, the Suicide Squad. I mean, you know, the idea that rather than going to the movie theater for one of these big, big releases on that day, you can just curl up on your couch and watch the same, the same film. I mean, I just, I don't see how, how this does anything other than just destroy 
the cinema experience of going to the movies well, um, the like way that we Tenet, know it. Tenet now, came out on I, streaming right this year, right away. And then there was the, the Tom Hanks movie, which was supposed to be a blockbuster, also came out on streaming. It's not the first ones, um, but I know that the, 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 the movie studios have been reluctant to do it. They've been doing them one off basically throughout this, this pandemic. And they're not recouping the money at all. It's, it's, it's not nearly, it's not even close to what it would be if it was a proper box office. And that makes me think that this might be temporary um, because they just, it's either that or movie budgets are going to have to come way down because um, yeah, you, you just can't, you can't get the same, the same income as a result of this. Well, yeah. And that's the thing, right? I mean that I, I don't know what a monthly subscription to HBO max is going to be, but I mean, I suspect, I think it's 15 monthly. Su- How much? I think it's 15 bucks, 1499. Yeah. Cause it's been around for a while okay. already. Yeah. So, if, so effectively it's the equivalent of going to see one of these films in, in the theater. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that's a problem. Yeah, anyway, I don't know. I'll be, be be very curious to see how this how this plays out. I mean, it you know, like any other disruptor, initially people are saying, oh, it's going to destroy the industry and it'll be the end of blah, 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 as we know it. And and then, you know, the industry changes and adapts and everything seems to continue on. So perhaps this will do the same. Who knows? Well, anyway, what do you got? Yeah, I, I'll get to that in just a sec. Um, I, yeah, I think I hear where you're going with that, but I feel like music never really came back. Like after it was disrupted by, by technology, it's never come to the same level that it was before and streaming uh, and even just buying, buying albums digitally has never been able to replace the revenue that was generated um, previously. And I think the same may happen with movies. And, and maybe that's, I mean, I read an article a long time ago, just about that. Maybe that's what music is actually worth now that anybody can buy it anywhere at any time. And anyone can publish music anywhere at any time that we're seeing the true value, the monetary value of an album or of a song or of music in general. And maybe movies will go through the same sort of process. Maybe they're just really overpriced uh, and and those prices are going to have to come down. The one I wanted to mention is also a little bit um, businessy, but uh, there was a big story that broke over the last many days of uh, Slack being acquired by Salesforce. Slack launched a long time ago, around 2010 or 2011, I think. And I have a bit of a tie to the company. I I was on the list of beta uh, versions of Slack just before it got officially released because uh, a girl that I used to work with years and years ago in Canada is the wife of one of the Slack founders. And so I had a bit of an inside that way to, to, to get the software. So I tried it really early on and I I've used it on and off since, um, you know, in different, in different roles that I've had. And, um, it went from the darling of, of startups to uh, it's now an app that most people love to hate on most of the time, because like anything, it's, it's grown to become something that it was trying to get people away from, which is this monolithic, channel that you need to be constantly engaging with all the time, which is what email used to be. So it hasn't really improved on that at the end of the day. Um, but there's a great article just about how, how Microsoft actually has been able to crush Slack for the most part with the launch of teams a couple of years ago. And, um, this is an article written by Casey Newton. I've wrote about him on my own blog. Uh, he was at the verge for a long time. He's, um, probably one of the top tech writers, I would say, in the U.S. And uh, he has moved to Substack, which is also the cool thing to do these days, uh, where he's publishing his newsletter directly. And his newsletter is called The Platformer. And it really is mostly about you know social platforms um, and, and what they're dealing with in terms of 
uh, censorship and misinformation and things like that. Uh, but he has a long piece looking at the the how Microsoft and Slack have competed over the last several years. Because you know it's interesting, you and when when Microsoft Teams launched, like they they felt that you know Slack really w- was starting to cut into its territory a bit. And on the day that Teams launched, Slack bought a full page ad in the New York Times to basically welcome Teams into the market but said Slack is here to stay and we're just getting started. But you move on from that day, Teams now has 115 million users. Slack has 12 million. So Teams has basically wow. crushed it. Uh, and, uh, and of course, Salesforce and Microsoft are bitter enemies as well. I mean, Salesforce has really moved in on Microsoft's turf in, turf in so many different areas as well. So it, that's, a, that's a fascinating uh, uh, rivalry. And I think Slack is, is, is going to help Salesforce quite a bit. So this is one I, I definitely would recommend if you love business and you love technology and uh, sort of the inside scoop on a, on a pretty bitter rivalry. Uh, this is definitely one to check out. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. I don't know how you, I mean, it's the integration, right? I mean, the fact that Teams comes with Office 365. So I think where they've been really successful on it, and I look, and this is largely anecdotal, as you know, Cam, I don't, I don't follow the sort of tech news the way that I know you do, but you've had a lot of boomers be sort of compelled to engage with this technology for the first time. And, you know, I suspect that the, the numbers would, would, would bear out that they're not, they're not getting in at Slack. They're getting in with, with teams because it's integrated in the software suite that they've otherwise been using, right? They're still using their Microsoft word and their PowerPoint and their Excel and their outlook email. And this is just one new app in the universe of programs that they're already accustomed to using. Yeah, absolutely. And Slack is, is, you know, it's, it's done well, but yeah, it's, um, it's not software that you're going to go, you know, pick up it. Yeah. If you're a boomer, (laughs) uh, you know, it's really for the entrepreneur crowd and the startup crowd in San Francisco. And, uh, it's had a difficult time kind of breaking out of that. Um, but anyway, uh, still I'm, I'm glad both of them, it looks like are going to survive anyway. Uh, anything else you would to add on this show? That's all I got, Cam. That's all I got. I think we shared a lot, enough opinions for, for one show. Yeah, uh, we kind of did, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, as, as mentioned, we are going to have um, Courtney on next week from Gotham PR to, to talk some politics. And she let me know she's got some, some, some really cool clips to play uh, as well. So we're going to break down speeches and, and messages uh, from some politicians that you know well. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to, to having her on. So that'll be next week. Um, so don't miss a show. You can subscribe to the PR and law podcast in your podcast app of choice, or you can subscribe to our YouTube or SoundCloud channels and you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we are also on, yeah, I mentioned YouTube and SoundCloud already. All right. It's getting late. Um, you can also sign up for our, our newsletter as well. PRLawpodcast.club. So for you and Christy, this is Cam McMurchie. Light it up. This has been the PR and Law Podcast with Cam McMurchie and Ewan Christie. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or leave a review. You can also join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by following our account at PR Law Podcast. That's all one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Thanks for your support. 